giving us direction. Lord, I pray that you'll be with those in our church family who are struggling, who are uh, making their way through the grief of loss, failing health, financial struggles, uncertainty about decisions they need to make or circumstances they find themselves in. Father, I pray that you'll just be present in our circumstances and in tangible ways. Lord, that we will see your presence and hear your voice and know that you are near. Thank you, Lord, for being who you are to us. And we do love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, well, we got some kids here today. If you'd like to, you can join Joe and Holly for Kids World today. And just go that way. I want to thank Joe and Holly and uh, Diana and I think Teresa. Rhonda for jumping in and volunteering to get our children's ministry back on its feet. And uh, we are blessed by that. Uh, For the near future, if you didn't see the the newsletter, we'll be having Kids World every other week, first and third Sundays of the month. So let your friends know. Uh, Those of you joining us online, you know that that will be available for you and your kids. And Hub, this is way too hot. I'm, I'm speaking very quietly right now. There we go. All right. Now I can speak in my normal voice, maybe. <clears throat> but uh, plug into that. Thankful that they're going to do that for us. And, uh, and it'll be good. I want to remind you, uh, before we jump into the text this morning, that uh, service for Jan Snodderly will be here uh, this coming uh, Saturday, 24th at 2 o'clock p.m., right here in this space, we'll enjoy some fellowship together and uh, have a remembrance of our dear friend Jan, who went to be with the Lord uh, here very recently, just about a week ago, a little over a week ago, and uh, we miss her a whole bunch, but we rejoice that she is with the Lord, and uh, we're going to grieve and celebrate all at the same time right here together, all right? So I encourage you to be here with us for that. And then we're going to jump back into the book of Acts this morning. And I love this text that we're in today. I mean, I love them all, but uh, I really like this one and uh, some of the principles that it gives to us. And uh, it's good to remind ourselves, why are we going through the book of Acts? Well, there's, there's two reasons. One, all Scripture is good. For the church. Um, I know I sometimes really like and desire to have what we might call application style uh, messages, topical messages, and those are good. And we'll actually have some of that coming up before uh, the Christmas season and the Thanksgiving season. Uh, We'll kind of take a little shift, take a break from the book of Acts. But the reality is, uh, as believers, we should desire to just hear the word of God. 
And the Word of God is powerful all on its own. And uh, I'll get an amen to this, but we could just read the Word and me not ever say anything else, and, and we'd be out of here. And that would still be sufficient to feed the body of Christ, because the Word of God is the food for the body of Christ. Now, the other thing that is the food for the body of Christ, Jesus said it himself of himself. He said, doing the work of the Father, serving others, is his food. And so, uh, why do we go through the book of Acts? Because, one, it's the Word of God, and it's good for us just to hear and speak the Word of God. The second is this, as we strive to continue to be a church that's relevant in our times and relevant in our community, it's good for us to go back to how God formed the church and what the church was doing in the early days to give us some context of how we might function and move in our time among our community and with those that we're trying to reach. And so, uh, it, in some ways, it's very practical that we look at those early stories. And so that's why we're here, and that's why we spent so much time here. And uh, we're going to spend quite a bit of time in the book of Acts over the next uh, many months, and we'll come back to it. We'll, we'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll take a break. We'll come back. But that will be our plan, and that's why we're doing that. And this morning's text is really a good example of that. All right, so what we have here... We've talked the last several weeks about how things have just been coming together after Christ has, has been crucified, he's been resurrected, he's hung out with uh, the disciples, and we'll get a little, a little hint here even of more of that in today's text. <clears throat> and then they have this dramatic event where he ascends into heaven and says that he is going to send in a more present way, in a more persistent way, Holy Spirit is going to come to be with us until he returns. Now, we've mentioned this before, but I want to touch on it very briefly. That does not mean that Holy Spirit was not active prior to this moment, prior to Pentecost or prior to the, the miracle of all of the disciples standing in the giant square of the city and speaking languages that they did not know and yet the people there hearing them in their own native tongues, that miracle that happened when the fire of the Holy Spirit came upon them. If we look in the Scriptures, we, we find even back in the Old Testament, when, uh, for instance, in the Psalms, when David talks about, your spirit is with me, that is still a reference to the work of the Holy Spirit. All throughout, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have been preexistent and coexistent together from the beginning, from before the beginning, if you want to think about it that way, since God constructed time. So when Jesus said that he was going to send a comforter to be with us, the Holy Spirit, it wasn't that it was going to be brand new, but that he was going to now uh, be with us and be available to us in a way that he had not been until the sacrifice of Christ was complete and the resurrection of Christ was complete. So those events have happened, and now this small group has begun to, to form and to coalesce into what becomes the early church. When we go further into the New Testament, and we see books like Thessalonians, the Corinthian books, um, the books of Philemon and Timothy, and the, the letters that are written, those letters primarily are being written then to, we're talking about 60 to 80 
A.D., those are the established churches that have begun uh, to form in those different regions, in those different cities, and those letters are being sent out to those actual bodies. It would be just like a letter to Anchorage or a letter to Christ Community Church. It was sent specifically to those bodies that had formed out of the establishment of the church by Christ uh, before he ascended. What we have here in Acts are the very beginnings of those things happening. We look today, and there's almost no place on the earth that's untouched by at least some influence of Christianity. There are still places that are, and there are places, of course, that are, that are quite uh, hostile to Christianity, where people there have no idea that, that Jesus ever existed, or if they do, for instance, in Muslim belief, they believe in Jesus. They think he was a great prophet, um, among others, Abraham and Moses. But they don't understand him as we understand him through the Bible. And so they have no knowledge of that. So we look at the world and we see there's this understanding of Christ that's sort of pervasive in most of the world. But here, you got to think, we're in Jerusalem where all of these events have happened. There's a small group of believers, men and women, who are beginning to tell the story of Jesus, and it's just now beginning to spread into the outer areas from where they have lived and grown up and ministered. And today we find uh, two of these characters, Paul, who wrote most of what we have in the New Testament as books of the Bible were written, penned by Paul, and his partner in crime, Barnabas. And they are beginning to go out and, and make missionary journeys out of their home base, which is a place called Durba, which right today would be in, I mean, right smack in Turkey is where it would be today. That's their launching point. They come out of there. They make this big circuit across the country of, of modern-day Turkey to the, sh to the coastline, get on a boat and motor over. Well, they don't motor. You know what I'm saying. They, 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 however boats used to work, you know, sails, giant oars, I don't know. Um, they, they get over to the island of Cyprus. They minister there. They leave there. They go on over to the shore of what today would be modern-day Syria. They go in there, and they share the gospel, and they come back. And the story that we pick up today is where they're returning on that trip to these places. So we're in Acts chapter 13. That kind of catches you up to, to where they are right now, is they're on their way back to their home base. And they're in this place... <clears throat> Uh, to Pamphylia. They came from Perga and then to Antioch, and now they're in a place called Pisidia. And on the Sabbath, they go to the temple, like they do, and they're there, and the rabbis are there. Predominantly, the men are there in the temple listening to the teaching. They would do, they would read the law. They would take the books of the law, which we still have in our Old Testament, and they would read from them to instruct and then have time where the rabbis would speak and say, this is what this means to us in our context now. This is what God wants for us. This is how God wants us to, to live and to behave. And so 
Paul and Barnabas have gone. They're sitting in the temple. And you have to remember, Paul's fairly famous because he was a high-level Jewish leader and teacher before God snatched him up on the road to Damascus and, and saved him. And so many people don't yet know that Paul has had this transformation because immediately after that happened, uh, Saul, as he was called, was on the road to Damascus. Uh, God, God came down to him and said, Dude, why are, you, why are you killing my people? Why are you persecuting me? Jesus said. And then this whole miraculous event happened where, where Saul's entire understanding gets changed and he realizes who Jesus is. And he commits his life to Christ and he becomes then, instead of the greatest enemy of the church of Christ, he becomes the greatest advocate for the church of Christ and begins to, to share the good news of Jesus. And so here he is. Not everyone has heard that he's had this transformation. And so I suspect that what happens next is folks notice that Paul is there. They go, hey, isn't that, isn't that Paul? Hey, man, he's smart. He's a, he's a sharp guy. He really knows the law. And so this is what happens. They said uh, after they had finished reading the law and some of the, the books of the prophets, they looked at Paul and said, if you have any words of encouragement for the people, tell us. So verse 16, so Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. All right, so he's, he's doing what is very common in Jewish culture to communicate truths. And we see this all throughout, especially the Old Testament. History and truth is told by telling the stories of the past. We tell the stories of the past of, of what happened, uh, what, what we did, what God did, in order to, to, to remind them that this is where we were, this is what happened, here's how God showed up, this is why we have faith in God. And, and most of the Old Testament is sort of framed in that way and exists for that purpose. And he's doing exactly the same thing here. He's teaching them in a way that they will be very familiar with and which will resonate with them because they're used to hearing truth communicated to them in this way. So he starts talking about, remember, when we came out of Egypt, our leader was there, Moses, and he stood at the shore of the Red Sea and he raised his arm and God parted the waters. He starts right there. So, uh, and with uplifted arm, he led them out of Egypt. Verse 18, and for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. Amen. Do you ever feel like God's just putting up with you sometimes? Uh, <laughs> you know, he's like, you, you know, you've had people in your life that you've had that sense about. Apparently, God identifies with that. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. 
All of this took about 450 years, he says. So not the time in the desert, that was 40 years, he just talked about that, but it would appear that he's just referring back to their, their long history of being in captivity in Egypt, being away from God, God rescuing them, and they still being at odds with God and how God put up with them and how long that took. And he says, after that, 450 years, he gave them judges. There's a book of judges in your Old Testament, by the way, until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, David's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Now that moment right there for the people gathered, especially the religious leaders, indicates a massive shift in the conversation. Because up until this point, what you would, what you would have seen, what you would have heard, you remember, you remember our fathers in the desert. God came to them. And he rescued them out of Egypt. And our, and our great leader, he stood at the shore of, of the Red Sea and raised his arm. And God parted. And they're, mm-hmm, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you preach it, brother. Tell us, brother. Probably not like that, but something like that. They would have absolutely been in agreement with him. They'd been, yes, we are on the same page. And he says, that took about 450 years. And they're like, yeah, that was a long time. But look, here we are now. Here we are now, worshiping together and, and being in the temple and sharing the word. He says, and then, you know, we had the prophets and the kings and Samuel and all of these things. They were fantastic. And then we had these great kings like like Saul and, and David, the lion. David, the lion of the nation of Judah, slayed bears with his bare hands and slung that rock and hit Goliath in the head and fought off lions when they were trying to get to his sheep and all that stuff. David, blah. And out of David, God gave us the Messiah. What? We don't believe there's any Messiah yet. Because remember, Jewish leaders had rejected Jesus. He calls them to task on this in a moment, but right now he's just, he's just dropped a bomb that Paul who we trusted to talk to us right now because we thought we knew who Paul was, has just upset everything. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Now before his coming, John the Baptist had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he, no, but behold, after me is coming, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. And then he puts it right down. He speaks to them directly. He says, brothers, my brothers, sons of the family of Abraham. 
Abraham is the patriarch of patriarchs of the people of Israel. He's the very first one that God made a covenant with and said, your descendants will number more than the grains of sand on the shore of the ocean, more than the stars in the heavens. You will be a great nation. And so he takes them back to that because he knows they respect the story of Abraham. Sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, because there were people who had converted and become Jews who were not born Jews. To us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning them, him. So he says to them, listen, brothers, we're all brothers. I mean, he's a son of Abraham too. He says, listen to me, God has sent us this salvation and it's in Jesus Christ. And those who were in Jerusalem who saw him, I mean, they heard the stories of his works. Some of them witnessed with their own eyes the miracles that Jesus performed. They saw the grace with which he accepted the punishment of the cross. They heard with their own ears the way that he said to, to the Father, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They condemned him because he threatened to upset the balance of power that they held. And he had a different message. And that message was that God's grace is available to everyone who will believe in the Messiah. Jesus. He says that they did not recognize him or understand anything the prophets had said which are read every Sabbath. And this is, a, this is a pattern we don't want to fall into. We don't want to become people who come to church or who open our Bibles every day or, or who listen to audio Bible um, and the words just go by, and we hear them, but we don't understand them. Because that's exactly what he says. He says, look, you, those guys in Jerusalem, they came to the temple every day, every week for Sabbath. They sat all their lives. They heard the stories of the prophets proclaiming that a Messiah would come, and this is what it would look like. This is what he would do. These were the, the prophecies that needed to be fulfilled in order for us to know that he's the Messiah. They heard all of those things, all of their lives, sunk them in their brains and still did not understand them when they saw the Messiah standing in front of them. And Paul's not necessarily being accusatory because wasn't Paul the same? He was in Jerusalem. That's, that's right at the beginning of Acts. Paul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, was bringing them bound in chains back to Jerusalem. So he was a contemporary of the time. So while he's being somewhat uh, chastising here, he's also pointing the finger at himself. Because until, until God got a hold of him, he didn't believe who Jesus was either. But they condemned him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, verse 28, they asked Pilate to have him executed. 
And when they had carried all out, when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and they laid him in a tomb. And here's so many places in the word, my, two of my favorite words in the whole Bible. But God. Some translations, it's yet God. See, at that point in our human understanding, without faith, without God, that moment that someone passes feels like finality. But in Christ, every time we lose someone who's dear to us, every time one of us crosses over to the other side of the river and stands with Christ, those who here remain can certainly grieve and, and suffer the loss and we, we are pained to our core. But those of us who believe in Christ also in that same breath can say, but God. But God raised him from the dead. <laughs> All 40 years in the desert, 450 years of our people, judges and priests and kings and David and Saul and, and then Jerusalem and they condemned him. They didn't believe him. They heard all the scriptures and then they put him on the cross and he died. They shoved him in the ground. But then God raised him. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem who are now his witnesses to the people. This is an interesting, just little sentence here. We get a hint of this in the end of a couple of the Gospels, after he's risen, beginning of Acts, where there's some descriptions sort of particular about who he hangs out with. We know that uh, the disciples confessed that he came to them on the shore of the sea. Some of them had gone back to fishing. And he came and sat with them and ate food with them on the beach after he had been resurrected. Um, many others had seen him. But this is a great testimony here. And remember, this is, this, is within, this is within 15 to 20 years of the resurrection of Christ that this is being written. And Paul says with no, I mean, no hint of, of humor or deceit or like this is crazy, he says... And God raised him from the dead, and many, many witnesses saw him. He hung out with all, a bunch of the people that he was friends with in Galilee and Jerusalem, and now today, go talk to him. They are witnesses of Jesus being alive. And we bring to you, verse 32, the good news, that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us their children by raising Jesus as also it was written in the second psalm you are my son today I have begotten you it's interesting that you may not know that some of the psalms also contain prophecy and this is one of those places that's been identified before Jesus was here that this was a that David was an archetype one of those signals, those signs, a shadow of the coming Messiah. There are others in the scripture. Gideon is another one. Uh, Moses is one. Noah is one. God was always giving an indication of his plan to rescue. 
And this is in the second psalm, one of those places. Because this word begotten in the Hebrew, uh, when we get over into the New Testament, into the Greek, John 3.16, the Aramaic before the Greek, um, for God so loved the world that he gave his what? Only begotten son. Those are two different words in, in at least three different languages that we get translated here in the Bible, Old Testament to New Testament, but their core meaning is the same, and they mean the first of their kind. The first of their kind. And then what, what God promise us, promises us in the context of our salvation is that we then become, this is why the word Christian means little Christs, like Christ. We become begotten of God. We become after his kind. And so he tells them, he's just given them part of the gospel, all right? And now they're, they're processing. We're going to jump over to verse 38. He says, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. This is big. This is big news. Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him, everyone who believes is freed. Second big news. These are landing like giant hailstones. I'll tell you why. Everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Okay, all right now. Let's just back that up, mister. Law of Moses, Ten Commandments. Actually, starts a little bit before the love of the Lord your God, love your neighbor, Ten Commandments, and then all of the particular laws given, like in uh, the book of Leviticus, for the, the Jews to follow, for them to observe, you know, dietary restrictions and clothing and things like, like those, which are not meant for the Gentiles, by the way. Don't buy that line. It's not true. Um, but these guys sitting here, their whole lives have been wrapped up in making sure that they try to check every box in the law because that's how they perceive their path to righteousness before God. Which, which is unfortunate in a lot of ways because even God said strict adherence to the law pre-Christ. You can adhere to the law and offer all of the sacrifices you want to sacrifice, but if your heart is not in love with me, it's all junk. So it's always been God's grace that saves. God's intention with the law was twofold. One was because the law, as Paul tells us in another place, demonstrates to all of us that none of us are perfect because we can't keep all of the laws all the time. We mess it up. But two, it's a demonstration of those who are righteous that they want to be pleasing to God because out of a, an inward desire and an inward change, they become the kind of people who naturally live according to the laws of God. It's not the other way around. Living by the laws of God doesn't make you pleasing to God. Finding favor with God causes you to become the kind of person who lives like you belong to God. 
But this had gotten all mixed around, and that's what Paul's talking to them about right now. He says, this Messiah has come, and it was Jesus. And they killed him, and they put him in the ground, but then God raised him from the dead. And when he did that, he made it possible for everyone, ooh, not just the Jews, everyone who would believe to be saved. And in so doing, if you'll believe in him, there's this grace offered to you that even though you have strived to check every box in the law, you know, and I know, you know, and I know there are things you've never been able to get right or you keep messing up or you keep falling into. And he says, I can help you with that. There is freedom in Christ beyond the law. And in verse 42, it says this. They, they tell all this stuff, and then they just stop talking. It says, as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told to them the next Sabbath. That sounds pretty good. I mean, if, you, if you're a guy like me who's teaching, and you get done, and people are like, will you come back next week? You're like, this is awesome. After the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. So they have this meeting. They say all the things we just talked about, just read about. They're leaving the place. People are like, that was really great. Can you come back next week? We'd like to hear more of that. And then they're walking along the road, and they're talking to each other, and they just continue to talk about Jesus. And Paul keeps telling them, listen. You've heard this truth. I, it excites you. I see that you receive it. You believe it. Keep living that way. Don't go back to the old way of thinking. Don't go back to the old way of believing. Believe in Christ and begin this new journey. That's what he's telling them. And then verse 44, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Now, how did that happen? Did Paul and Barnabas go and knock on every door? Maybe. I imagine door knocking then was just as awkward as it is now. Not everybody likes that, wants that. No soliciting. Look. Probably not. You know what happened, right? I don't know how many people were in the synagogue, but however many they were, after they had that conversation, and then they went to their little homes and they had their, their meal that evening. They kept talking about what happened at the Sabbath, the meeting in the synagogue. And then they got up and they went to work the next morning. And the ladies went down to the, to the well and began to draw water for the day's uh, work that they were going to do. And, and the men did whatever they were doing, whatever job they had, you know, uh, farriers and carpenters and farmers and all kinds of things. And everybody who was there said, you know what happened yesterday at the, at the temple? Did you hear? Oh. It was amazing. You, those guys are going to be back next week. You got to be there. And that, my friends, is the biblical model of evangelism. We gather together and we hear beautiful things from the Word of God. We hopefully sing beautiful music and lift our voices. And God meets us and encourages us. We gather together. We fellowship with one another. We have, we have encouraging conversations with each other. And then it's such a benefit to us 
that our natural reaction is to go out there and tell people about it. And that it ultimately leads to telling them about Jesus. Is it always easy? It is not. Is it always convenient? Definitely not. Should we force it? I don't think you should. Should we try to make it part of who we are as just a lifestyle? I think we should. Should be part of who we are to talk about Jesus. Um, I've been uh, working with TBA Theater on their production of Hello Dolly this last week, uh, helping with tech. First time doing that for them in a show. And it's been loads of fun and completely exhausting. It's been really uh, quite consuming. But over the last 12 years, we've had some great connections with TBA, and there are people who have come to Christ because of our church's connection with TBA Theater. They've come to know Jesus in a personal way and, and now testify of him because that happened. So it has importance in that way, and, and it's fun, and I love these people, and, and uh, the show's good. You should come see it uh, today, 3 o'clock, I think. Friday, Saturday, 7 o'clock. Next Sunday, 3 o'clock, I think. It's on the website, TBA Theater. But I'm working with a new person. Uh, she's the lead sound technician, and she's a genius. She's really great. Um, she and her husband have been doing this kind of work around the state for a long time, and she's very, very talented. And very early in the week, we're just getting to know each other. I knew of her. She knew of me. Don't know each other personally. First time we've worked together. But somewhere along there, just very naturally, very organically, she said something that was a tiny little open door for me to say, well, you know, what I do is I'm a pastor. And I don't remember what the context was, some topic, you know, social topic, political topic, something. And it started this long conversation that now has been going on all week in a very positive way. It's as simple as that. And there have been plenty of other times in that same, I'm just going to use that same mix of people because there's so many people there. I'm thinking about uh, this other guy. Uh, he does not want to have that conversation. Great. Guess what? We're still friends. And I still love him. And think a lot of him. And he also still knows who I am and what I believe and where I'm at. And if God ever moves there, there's an opportunity. It can be that simple. I think the problem is, and goodness knows, sometimes it's hard. We have so many other pressures. Our work is so overbearing at times that it's hard for us to, to take those opportunities. My buddy Steve has a boat down in Homer, and he takes a lot of, used to take a lot of people out to fish. And uh, his, his go-to was to be out on the water, and if the weather was nice, or like pulled a nice halibut out of the water, he'd go, man, isn't God good? And it's just a little, like a little weather balloon that goes, beep, <laughs> you know, and you find out in the response, kind of like, where's the temperature here? That's all. That's it. And then being willing that if the door opens, that you testify about Jesus, who he is, who he is to you, 
What did he do for you? So the whole city shows up. They begin to teach again, and the religious leaders get mad. It says because they're jealous. And they try to kick him out of town. And then they get really mad because Paul drills down into the, the, the real heart of the message here which is to let these guys know that not only is Jesus the Messiah, not only is salvation available to you and to all, but when I say all, I mean all of those people outside the walls of this church, outside the walls of this synagogue who are not believers in what you believe, that grace is available for them, and they don't know it, and they need people to tell them. And if you won't tell them religious people, God will find other people to share his message. The problem is if we end up being those people who are the religious people who won't share the message because we want to keep people out, Jesus had very unkind word for those folks. You're a rotten, stinking grave full of dead things that somebody has put a nice coat of paint on the outside to make it look pretty. I don't want to be that. I want to be full of Jesus so I can share him with everyone I encounter when God opens the door to do that. That's the early church. That's its foundation. And guess what, my friends? It's still the church. It's still our mission. It is still who we should strive to be as a church and as individuals in our community. And I just want you to know that I'm praying for that for you and I'm praying for that for me. And I'm excited to see what God's going to do with that. Where that leaves you is you have to decide, are you gonna allow yourself to be that person? Whatever's going on in your life, your world, your work, your, your universe, do you need to make a conscious effort to shift your thinking so that when opportunities arise to approach the spiritual world in conversation with friends, family, and strangers, are you right now in a headspace where you won't do that? And are you willing to ask God to shift you so that you will? I pray that you will. Let's pray together. We're going to sing one more song before we get out of here today. Father, I'm thankful that you had someone to share the gospel with me. That you reached out to rescue me when I was just a young boy. Still, I didn't hear truly your call to believe in you until my brother sat down with me and said, hey, let me tell you about Jesus.
and I'm thankful that he did. Lord, I pray this morning if there's anyone in this place hearing the sound of my voice via technology and electronics or right here in this room who does not know you but wants to believe, Lord, that your spirit will move in them right now. Call them to yourself that they might believe. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. All my days, I've been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up till I lay my head, I will sing of the
Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause the light of his face to shine upon you. May he turn his countenance towards you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a great week. Uh, remember to join us on Saturday, 2 o'clock, right here for uh, service for Jan Snodderly. And if you get a chance, say thank you to uh, Joe and Holly this morning for children's ministry. And uh, hey, invite somebody to church with you, would you? Love you guys.